Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in the United States Armed Forces. On this series, jointly presented by Supply Chain Now and Vets2 Industry, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and stories from serving. We talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector, and we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Hello, everyone. This is Mary-Kate Saliva with you here on Veteran Voices. Thank you for joining us today for what's teed up for going to be a great episode and conversation with a veteran and an advocate who's doing, who wears many hats and doing a lot of great things for the military veteran community. So stay tuned there. Just a quick programming note before we get started. This program is part of the Supply Chain Now family. And today we are in partnership with Vets to Industry, an organization that's near and dear to my hearts and helped me during my transition from active duty. We learn more about this powerful nonprofit at vets2industry.org, and that's vets with the number two industry. An initiative that's near and dear to my heart is the Guam Human Rights Initiative. You can learn more about the great work that they're doing to stand up for human rights issues, guamhri.org, and initiatives that they're working on. And without further ado, I'm happy to introduce today an Army veteran. So our guest today, he's got numerous accolades about him. And like I said before, he wears many, many hats. So I'm excited to introduce, he's a colonel turned leadership author turned coach. And I'm sure that's just a short list of a long list of things that he's done. So Rob, Rob Campbell, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mary-Kate. Great to be with you. Let's have a chat. I know. I'm super excited about this. And I mean, the weather outside, I like to say it's perfect for my part of the world, but uh, it's a little bit rainy and dreary today. But I really wanted to pump us up. I know just from a rank standpoint, I'm sure at some point that you've yelled at a soldier or two to help get them motivated and pumped up for the day with some motivation. So I was wondering <laughs> you could start up our episode today with a favorite motivational quote of yours, or maybe a lyric. <laughs> Sing if you want. Yeah, well, I've, I've got a lot, <laughs> but you know, I, I just seem to be, they seem timely for me when I might need them most. And I, I think the one that has helped really in transition is look back, but don't stare. That means that, you know, I mean, I did 27 years, a lot of, you know, three combat tours. I think a lot of us that finished our military service look back with a lot of judgment, regret yeah. maybe over decisions we made. And we get, I think, drawn into these memories and these moments that aren't so pleasant. Uh, it's okay to look back. You ought to do that to learn and reflect, but don't stare. Look forward, look through the windshield. And that kind of reminds me to, to do that. So that's, that motivates me anyway. No, I, I actually, I really love that. And I'd say you're probably the first one that I've ever heard that quote from. So I can think of many times in my life where I probably stopped and stared for too long and uh, couldn't see over that next horizon. So I really yep. love that and definitely think that pumps me up. I do want to take our listeners a little bit back. I won't say way back, but wanted to talk about your upbringing and, and where you grew up, because uh, I, I think it for all, all of us, it really shapes who we are today. And so if you could tune in just a little bit about where you grew up. Yeah, no doubt. Um, born and raised in Massachusetts, lived there all my life. Uh, never really got out much, you know, traveled, never went internationally anywhere. Family never moved around, lived in the same house. Um, and uh, I went to college there and uh, 
when I went to school, uh, it was a basketball fanatic growing up. Uh, good upbringing, three sisters and me, and pretty spoiled, you know, had just about anything I needed and wanted as a kid. And, you know, pretty standard upbringing in the, you know, late 70s and 80s. Uh, and when I went to college, I was a basketball fanatic, and but I didn't make the team. And no, so there goes that passion to a screeching halt, right? And that's how I found the Army, because I was looking for something different. And Never thought of making it a career. I would have laughed at you in high school if you asked me, you know, if you told me I was going to be a career officer, uh, I saw it would have said absolutely no way. But I joined. I just, you know, kind of joined for the money. You know, it's weekend, you know, it's National Guard. And it's like, all right, this might be kind of cool. But I really fell in love with it. And it was, you know, love the challenge and the chance to travel and all that went with it. And so joined uh, the active duty in 1990 and off I went. Oh, wow. I love it. Was that something that did you have support from your your family at that time? Like you said, as far as your upbringing goes, like did you have any sort of mentors that really directed you into that direction to the military at that time? Well, my dad, my dad was certainly one. He was in the reserves. Uh, so all very supportive mm-hmm. of my decision. He wanted to make sure I was making the right decision. I think some of the older people I was speaking with at the time said, look, this is not about money. Right. Oh, yeah. Because at the time for me, you know, it was free tuition and monthly pay that, you know, I had nothing as a college student, but it wasn't about money. It was about something bigger than myself. So my dad was really, I think, a big motivator for me to to want to serve and be like him. Oh, I, I love that. I mean, because I've spoken to folks who didn't have any military affiliation at all and some who were like, no way, don't join. Or if you do join, join the Air Force. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, the fact that there was support in your family to join the Army and I just, with as far as, so, so your dad was Army as well or did you end up picking opposite branch? Uh, no, he was Army as well. He'd just done some time in the reserves. He'd never been on active duty or anything, but he did several years in the reserves and um, I always, you know, kind of watched it from a distance, uh, never really, again, it was never anything that I had aspired to do, but as it turns out, it was a great fit for me. So, but yeah, he was, he was the one. That's fantastic. I, um, as far as like with, with basketball, I mean, that's, that's quite a change, but I, I think I've heard from many before about that parallel between athletics and sort of that leadership lessons that you learn from being involved in sports and then that with the military as well. Did you sort of draw parallels to that as a, as a pivot point for you from basketball to the Army? You know, I probably did, Mary-Kate. I, I guess, you know, really, I never thought of that. I do talk about that a lot in leadership where I compare what it is we're trying to do in companies to sports teams. Right. Because they're going trying to go out and win a championship. And all that comes with that is the teamwork and the selflessness and dedicating yourself to something bigger than oneself. So maybe that was the parallel there that I didn't realize was that the army was, you know, a cause bigger than me. And it was a chance to be on another team, right? I didn't make this team. So I joined that one. I would tell you though, but you exchanged squeaky sneakers for a pair of combat boots. Tell you yeah, that. So one thing about me that steered me away from basketball was hearing the squeaky sneakers on the court going back and forth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but um <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about your your time in in uniform. I mean, obviously it wasn't anything new as far as seeing the uniform since your dad served um albeit the reserves. Mm-hmm. But to wear that uniform on on the day to day, so so we know the branch. Um, but what did you do in the military, and, and how did you sort of pick that path to go in, as far as that career choice, that job? Yeah, I don't. Uh, there was really no magic behind it, or any kind of grand plan. I think you know it was just uh, 
Similar I like really, a... I mean, I you know, just went and joined the National Guard. They made me an 11 Bravo, which was infantry. And okay, cool. <laughs> right. So I'll go do that. And uh, and then off I went. And then, you know, went into ROTC. Uh, and then when it came time to pick a branch, I had looked at a few others. I looked at Armour. I thought that was pretty cool. Aviation was kind of neat. Uh, mm-hmm. But I just, I guess, really never did much with it and just kind of wind up in the infantry. Um, Glad I did because it was, you know, yeah. a remarkable experience for me. But yeah, it wasn't much to it back then, just kind of navigating along. And even in the early days, really no aspirations to have a long career, make a, you know, make a career out of it. And again, we weren't at war. It was just a different time back then, you know. And I like how you mentioned about it being a different time because I just know from for me being a woman veteran service member going from active and reserve there weren't infantry women up until recently. And so I think during that, that time too, it's like, you just knew you're going to end up working with men and sort of that brotherhood that developed from there. So it definitely was a different, different time. And I still, there's a lot of credit to be done with infantry. I keep wondering how the recruiters get folks to, to join the infantry. And, uh, but yeah, I think it's definitely, we need them. We need the infantry and just the skill set, the combat skills that you learn from that time with what you're doing now. I'd love to know about where you went. Cause I know you've probably traveled all over the world. Uh, the infantry yeah. can, affords you that opportunity too, but could you tell us about like where you went sort of maybe a favorite place that you did get to go? If there is one that the army sent you. <laughs> Oh, sure. Well, that's a tough question because we were in some amazing places. And, but to your last point about women in the infantry, I fully support. I think that was a smart decision. And I was in command of a brigade, the 101st Airborne Division, that was bringing women into the infantry at that time. So it was kind of new to the Army. Right. Uh, but I applauded it. And I saw the benefits of doing that. So, yeah, total fan. Look, the infantry is a tough sell for anybody because it is just hard living you know, it male is, or absolutely. female. And yeah. yeah. So I, it's a, it's a tough sell for a lot of folks, but there's a lot of nostalgia there. There's a lot of history there, a lot of camaraderie there, uh, which I would, I benefited from. So when I went off into the active duty in 1990, I went off and did all the things that infantry officers do. Went to ranger school, got qualified, went to airborne school, got qualified. And I went off to my first unit of Fort Lewis, Washington, where I would stand a platoon. So it's kind of my baptism into leadership at that level. Moved down to Fort Polk, Louisiana for a year, you know, stayed there. Then I did a longer tour out in Hawaii where I commanded two companies out there. Had a chance to serve back at Fort Lewis as a general's aide. Really eye-opening experience to be next to a person that was at the highest levels of the Army. Right. To kind of watch that up close and personal. And it was a fascinating and, and really beneficial assignment. And then off to Command General Staff College at uh, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas for a year. That was a wonderful place to be. And um, 82nd Airborne Division for five years and uh, tour in Iraq. And then uh, went off to Command a Battalion up in Alaska for two years. That was one of our favorite assignments. Incredible life up there. And, and, um, of course, I we joke. I only was up there like nine months. <laughs> you know, I was gone to combat. My my family was up there oh for two years. But yeah, we really embraced it. It was a really fantastic assignment. Then they sent us to Germany from Alaska. How we oh, got what there, a I hard sell there. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I just came back from there, so I'm glad you brought that up. I just my first time oh, ever yeah. in Germany. I just got back, so incredible. Yeah. yeah. It was. Yeah, we really enjoyed that assignment for so many reasons. I think that was probably up there near the top just because it had so much to offer for us. 
we had I had just finished a combat tour in Afghanistan, so it was kind of a nice break, you know, to slow down a little bit, reconnect with the family. My sons flourished there. We had a really nice little community, and of course, the culture and the travel and all that wrapped into one. It was just really fantastic. And then I went off to the Army War College in Pennsylvania. It was a great assignment for us for a year. And then two years at Fort Campbell, Kentucky with the 101st Airborne Division. That's a hallmark assignment for me. I mean, I had reached the rank of colonel and command of a brigade of nearly 5,000 men and women. Wow. Really remarkable experience. and took a portion of the brigade forward to Afghanistan. Uh, And then once brigade command was done, it was the first time in my professional career that my path and the Army's path started to diverge. Hmm. My wife and I wanted to go off in a different direction. Our youngest had graduated high school. So really, schools and location wasn't an issue anymore. And we just kind of wanted to dive into the private sector and try something new. So we decided to retire. And off we went. And uh, there it is, a wrap on 27 years of military service. Just in a blink of an eye. As they yeah, say. No well, I, I love that you brought up your family too, because you know we have some service members that they they don't have their families moving around, and and some of us that do, and and some end up stuck at one duty station like Fort Bragg for most of their career, and others like yourself yep. moved around. Like, so would you would you mind speaking a little bit to that about the family experience and moving around sure. to different locations? I'm glad that my kids were raised in the Army. I'm glad that we moved from place to place to place because it really gave them exposure that a lot of other children would not have gotten. Yeah. So they they benefited greatly from that. Look, combat tours were difficult. And yes, we did strip them away from their support network and their friends time and time again. But it didn't phase them. They came through fine. You know, there were some tough spots in combat, but uh, they came through just fine. It, It really... They were raised in a values-based society, which I think I cherish the most. So like I would come home and talk about selfless service and duty and loyalty and things like that. And I got into their DNA. And uh, that's important. And I got to see the world and make friends all over the place. So they're very worldly in that respect. Love that. We kept the family together. A lot of people elect not to do that for a variety of reasons. Right. Uh, but we even, even pulling our kids out of school and keeping them together was very important to us. And I, I see that too. One of the beautiful things about with the military child is like they really do have friends in different time zones. So it's a matter of just calling yeah. up a buddy. They always have a couch to sleep on. <laughs> you just and and that vast experience, I think it really opens your eyes to the rest of humanity and just makes you think about things in a different way. And yeah. that can be really beautiful. So I love that your family like stuck together. I mean, it's just one of those, again, I consider a success story that some veterans don't have. So I think that's that was beautiful to bring up. And just as far as where you went, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience commanding, like, would you say 5,000, over 5,000? I'd love to touch on that bit because I don't get this opportunity every day where I get to speak to a veteran (laughs) who's led that many people. So if you could speak to that and and some of the lessons learned there, that'd be great. Sure. So it was a brigade of nearly, it was a little under 5,000. I had Gosh, I think seven battalions, and each of those battalions is somewhere between 400, 400 and 700 men and women. So it was a large enterprise, and it was leadership at a whole new level. And, you know, an, an army brigade is really designed to be able to pick up and move and go somewhere and fight right. almost on its own. It does, it needs a support network to it. But I had a, a, a deep reservoir of leaders there 
that could do a lot of things for me. I had senior staff members that had been in over 10 years that knew the Army and were more seasoned. So my role was a bit easier, a bit more strategic in terms of steering the organization. I had this team that could help me do that. So just an amazing experience. My role became more of guidance and steering and and dipsticking where I needed to, to make sure the brigade was on the right track and doing those things and to make sure that my intent got all the way down to the bottom, uh, which was a tremendous challenge. So I would spend a lot of time thinking about my words and my guidance, because as a brigade commander, when you say something, it sticks and people latch onto that and they'll drive that home all the way. So you had to be very careful and very deliberate about what you said and did. Yes. And, you know, so that experience there was, was very new. Challenging in the respect that, you know, I, I was counseling and mentoring much more senior officers. I mean, they were, these were very talented men and women that were handpicked by the Army to be where they were. So it was difficult for me to kind of sit in front of them and say, okay, here's what I see in your performance and here's what I'd like you to improve and then get them to open up a bit about themselves. Uh, though very enlightening, very um, you know incredible in terms of the experience that it gave me, just a tremendous you know teaching of leadership on how to lead and how to do things, and and the effect that one can have at that level, really really important. The thing that's different about you know brigade command is that you're less you know kind of dirty in the trenches day in and day out. You've got people below you that can do that. Your role is to do a little bit more of the up and out to understand what's happening above you to ensure you understand what's happening at the highest levels of the army and certainly with your division commander what needs to occur. And then bringing that back down into your organization was really the role that I fulfilled and seeing things laterally outside of my organization. This is why we have company grade officers and then field grade officers in the Army. Company grades see what's right in front of them. They're able to, to touch it, direct it, move it quickly. Field grade officers see the field, which is a much wider view, a much longer view in terms of where the organization needs to go. And you don't turn a brigade on a dime. It shifts and alters slowly. And so this is just a different application of leadership on how to, to lead at that level. Incredible experience, uh, what I learned, and just a, a, an amazing opportunity to grow and create the next set of leaders for the Army. It was just it's such a privilege that I, I cherish it to the day. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think your experience, I mean, each one of us has, has unique stories, but not it's just see as smaller as you go up that tier and up the ranks. And so someone at your level, like I said, it does it's not every day that I get to talk to a colonel who, and not every colonel has led even the size that you were afforded the opportunity and trusted to lead as well. So I appreciate that. And I, I'm really curious just from like a non-commissioned officer standpoint as to, did you have, what sort of lessons learned did you have from those that were subordinate to you? Mm-hmm. As you know, sometimes like I know for me at my level, I learned so much from from my junior soldiers and just any sort of stories there that you may have? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, they taught me a lot of things. They taught me that everyone just wants to be treated the same. Like I mentioned earlier, I had a lot of new females coming into the brigade. And so I was very focused on making sure that I was leading properly and setting the right environment for them to come in. So I would have these sensing sessions with them, to them just individually as, as a group and talk to them about, you know, how they were doing and just hear from them. Uh, and frankly, they just wanted to be treated like everybody else. They didn't want anything, anything special. That's one of the things I learned. Mm-hmm. One of the things, you know, I, the experience that a non-commissioned officer brings into a conversation is 
priceless because they have done uh, what I'm about to do over and over and over again. Like my command sergeant major, you know, this was my first time commanding a brigade. And many of the things that we did, you get one and only shot at it. And many of the things that we did uh, were the first time for me doing them. Now, I had deep experience myself to bring into these places. And I had been in uh, operations like we had been in many times before, but never as a as the leader of a brigade. Well, what these NCOs could bring to me was experience of having done that multiple times. They could see things that I could not. They could see, hey, boss, I'm picking up some signals that this is going to happen you know, next week or 10 days from now or by, you know, close the business today because I've seen it before. And that was invaluable advice to me to listen to that and take that in. So they taught me to listen intently. And they also taught me to, you know, kind of judge things a little differently and see things a little differently. They kind of opened my aperture greatly in that respect. So tremendous learning experience from them. I love that. And it just goes to show, I mean, taking the opportunity to step back and actually listen, like you said, having those sensing sessions, uh, really creating that transparency in that environment to where soldiers want to open up uh, is Mm -hmm. really valuable. And there's definitely a lot of parallels, which sort of segues into the work that I know you're doing a lot in leadership now and drawing a lot of parallels. Uh, So I'd love to to hear sort of that, um, the sort of lessons learned, like if you were speaking to a room of those transitioning now, what sort of advice would you give them looking yeah. back now? Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, here is the central piece of advice I give all of them. It's this, stay flexible because transition is difficult. I'm not sure when you put an ED on transition. I'm six years deep and still transitioning in many ways, still trying to fit back into this society that I left 27 Mm -hmm. years ago, Uh, still trying to understand private business and how things function on the outside world, because I knew the army and how it it ran uh, very deeply. So the goal in transition is to get it more right than wrong, because there'll be things that a transitioning service member will go through that I just can't tell them, you know, sitting together in a room, especially when they're still wearing the uniform. But I know they're going to go through changes. And so that means that they might pick the wrong job. They might pick the wrong geography. They might choose something uh, that's not really nested with who they truly are. And wouldn't it be nice, Mary-Kate, if they could course correct easier, right? Instead of, okay, I bought a house, the boat, the car, and I'm all anchored down here. I'm stuck. I can't move. Versus, no, you know what? I've learned that this isn't it. And we're going to pull up stakes and move somewhere else. Wouldn't it be nice if you could course correct? So stay flexible is number one. The other one is the question you have to ask, which does not get asked in transition. Uh, This is the question that gets asked in transition. Mary Kay, thanks for your service. What do you want to do next? Yes, very loaded question. question, (laughs) Yeah. The real question is, who are you? Hmm. And that's that's key. So I would ask this group. Who are you? You've got to answer that question because the military told us who we were. They made us into soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marine Coast Guardsmen, and women, and stripped of us, stripped of us, stripped us of our individuality and made us into these service members. And we were given our occupational skill and our career path and told to move out. Well, now on the outside and transition, one has a blank sheet of paper. And that's daunting. And that's why we need to return to who we truly are as individuals and think deep. And here's a quick way to do that. 
if money wasn't an issue, what would you do tomorrow, right? House is paid for, car, food, everything. What would you do? Think deeply about that. And the other question is, think about it, go back in your life five times when you were in it, you felt positive, confident. I mean, you were just getting it done. You go all the way back to your childhood. What are those five times? Find those first and then, then look at them and see what kind of parallels there are. What kind of, what's the same about all of them and pull those things out and it speaks to what one's passion might be. I have never heard the last one, but I think that's so important. And I love what you said about, is there really an ED at transitioning? Because that always sort of gives me hope. I just I just reflected on my one-year point. I, I got off of active duty last year, August timeframe. And I was starting to, to sort of have those feelings too. So I think your advice just now really speaks to me and sort of where I'm at right now in in my transition, because I'll still say that I'm, I still feel like I'm going through it. I definitely thought that there were things that I had to accomplish within that first year, but I come to speaking to other veterans. They're like, you know, five, six years out and they're like, we're still figuring it out. So I, it definitely puts my mind at ease to think, okay, it's not like something, there's not a race that I have to have all these things done. I, I was so adamant about not being a statistic as they say so many veterans get so many three or four jobs within their first year coming off of active duty. And it's something that I really took to heart to make sure that I found the right culture fit, which again, that phrase like culture fit, I didn't know what that was on active duty. We didn't talk about like the right culture fit and like finding the, and all these different buzzwords, like even networking, networking wasn't a word that I really thought much about while I was on active duty. I mean, the army sort of puts people in front of me to connect me with, I don't have to go out and find people to connect with. So lots of lessons learned, a lot of value in what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's just very difficult. But even like the, but I, I, I would say that you have done very well for yourself. I mean, like I was, we just uh, talked about before the episode came on that I got to meet you at a volunteer event uh, with uh, the suit of warriors event and getting my, not only my free suit, but I got an opportunity to meet you there. And uh, you were talking about your book. And so just really wanted to take this opportunity to sort of talk about the things that you're passionate about and the things that you're doing right now. Cause I'm sure there's others yeah. out here, listeners wanting to write a book and don't even know where to start. <laughs> you did it. So sure. yeah. Yeah. Look, if I can do any of this stuff, anybody can. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife <laughs> in the drawer. Well, when I transitioned, I knew one thing and I knew that my core purpose was to make a li- the difference in the lives of others through optimistic leadership. I went through a course that helped me kind of tease out that core purpose. I didn't know where exactly I would apply that and how I would apply that, but I knew I had to fulfill that core purpose, right? And that's what everybody needs to know as they transition out is, why am I placed on this earth? What is it I bring? I talked to a lot of service members that are transitioning. Many of them, if not all, want to serve. They want to continue to serve in some way. And I'm no different. I was looking for something like that. I took some time off after I, I transitioned. Now, I've got you know a pension, a colonel's pension, so it's a differentiator for me for sure. And I realized that. But it wasn't paying all the bills. I had to find something. But I stumbled into book writing. I'd always enjoyed writing. I never had a grand plan to write books, but kind of mm. stumbled into it. I had met a guy that had done it. And I just talked to him a little bit about it and ended up writing my book in spring of 17 about leadership. It was really a great journey. I had some coaches or handrails, as I called them, that were not military. They were non-military. They knew about book writing. That helped me in the process. That's an important note, I think, to make. 
How, what could you add a little bit about that to touch on why you yes. chose people that hadn't served to be those handrails? Because because I was in their neighborhood now and not back in my own. And I think more right. veterans need to do this. Now, look, we have to stay connected to other veterans. You know, we have that bond that we can't explain to anybody else. But the fact is, you and I are on the other side now, that iron gate of that military base that has closed shut. And we're now in this space where other, most other people occupy and we're outnumbered. And I don't mean to say that, that to be defensive and, and to isolate ourselves, quite the opposite. I needed that handrail, those people I could meet, I could learn from. Most of the people I've learned from on the outside in my encore life have been people that never served a day in their life because I'm in private business. Many of them a decade plus younger than me. And that's okay because I'm open to learning and growing and they've taught me a lot. And so the book writing was just one example of many as I've traveled this journey yes. and got that done. So I got the book published and at the same time, I thought, okay, I could, I could sell this. I could, you know, coach, teach and speak off it. So I started that business uh, and it was hard, very difficult journey. It took about nine months to get my first client just because nobody knew who I was. I didn't have a brand. I kind of had to go out there and market myself. So I did. And I got that rolling. It was good. It was some ups and downs. I almost stepped away from it a few times. It wasn't all a bed of roses. It's hard work. And I learned a lot along the journey. And one thing I learned was about entrepreneurship, that there's more than one path. There's startup, there's buy existing, and there's franchise. And I realized that and look at all those three. So I really got interested in entrepreneurship, wanting to buy another, an existing business I saw as the path that I could take to get a team back around me, get back to the community, continue to serve and continue to do my leadership stuff. Well, about that time, I was writing the second book on transition. I published that right before the pandemic hit. And my wife and I moved from the coast up to the mountains in the Southern Appalachians of uh, Johnson City and started networking down here. And I found a business, uh, a blinds company, there's uh, uh, shutters, blinds and shades. And I bought it, I bought the property, and I bought another business, which is a frame shop that my wife runs. So it's a really great adventure for us that allows me to give back to the community here. So it's just been a journey of learning and trying things out, and it continues on. I, I don't know exactly where the path leads. I'm trying to kind of live in the moment and enjoy what I've got here and now. And so, yeah, so I'm a busy guy. <laughs> I appreciate your vulnerability and that it wasn't all a bed of roses because uh, I think when oh. some, when they look at it, they, they may lean your success to the fact that you are an officer or that you have an education. I can't tell you how many enlisted service members I speak to that don't even want to give it a chance because they already self-select out by saying, you know, I don't have a college degree, so I don't think I'll be successful in that. And and I always try to tell, you know, self-selecting out, like, do not do that. It's so much easier to do that, but to take the chance that even no matter what rank we came out as, it's still a lot of work, a lot of yep. work. So the next chapter has to be better than the last. Mm -hmm. And just building off of, like you said, it was something, and I, and I really love that you brought up your wife as well, because I think just the support system that's around us, I don't think that change that part changes from the time when we're in the military, having that support system and that network, having our family to lean on. And then again, reaching out, surrounding ourselves with that team, that tribe, that family around you to lean on and valid points all around on reaching out. I think it took me a little bit longer 
to realize to connect with folks that hadn't served. I was so pigeonholed in connecting, but as one mentor told me, why are you going to ask for advice from those who are still serving? <laughs> they, they haven't transitioned yeah, yet. That's anymore. what I was doing yeah. in the beginning. I was talking to those who my supervisor and those outrank me, like, what should I do? And they don't even know. They're just as lost as I am. <laughs> so um, wanted to, to definitely talk about sort of um, if you could touch a little bit on some of the things that you have written about with regards to leadership and some of the parallels that you were mentioning before, um, even if you yep. want to touch on the sports one, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, sure. Well, the uh, an organization at the end of the day is a collection of people, whether it's a private company or it's a military formation, and you're trying to influence those people to get something done and grow and become better people. And so I took all those things that I learned in the military, all my mistakes and all the lessons that I learned and I brought them in the private sector. Because as I say, any of these businesses, I promise you'll not come across any leadership challenge I haven't already faced and mm. probably screwed up a hundred times and learned from it. And I'm now ready to, to help you help, you know, so that you can prevent not making the same mistake. So there's a lot of a lot of parallels there in terms of motivating people to do what they got to do and, you know, bringing in a, a, a noble cause to get behind, giving back to the community or just doing something for the environment or society or something like that. That's a noble cause inside of a company that they can do. Set of values, a vision, a real vision in terms of where the organization needs to go, a good culture connecting with people on a very human level because we did that in the military. We knew each other on a much deeper level and our families because lives were at stake and it mattered. And I wanted to know everything I could about those around me. Same right. thing applies in a business, right? The team parallels, you know, one of the things I advocate for a lot is the huddle, the morning mm -hmm. huddle. Every morning you huddle. Why, why the teams huddle before they take the field? Well, it's because their survival depends upon it. If they lose the game, they're out. The season's over. So they huddle, they get synchronized, they share things, they see a teammate who's down to lift that person up. So it's that same parallel with a teammate, you know? We do that on, in sports, but yet we don't do it in a business. But in a business, we're trying to accomplish the same thing. And it's a championship. It gets defined a little different, but it's a championship, you know, otherwise you're out. So that's why you kind of huddle as a team. That's why you. You know, you use teamwork. Teamwork is one of the values we have here in all of our blinds because I know we can't survive without it. Yeah, so I love that point about the the team huddle. And I don't know, it just made me think of the penguin huddle because I just remember being at one of the the army's beloved training schools without uh food or and just freezing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we were just like huddled in, in a circle, but it was a chance for us to also uplift one another and to say, you know, for those who are wanting to quit, to say, don't quit, you're not doing this by yourself. And just that um, reassurance that, and, and it's so even when you see like that six foot three <laughs> soldier, that's like well over 200 pounds and you see that he's even wanting to break. And, and I mean, it just really goes to show like with the army, I mean, just the service in general, but I'm also Army, so to speak to that, that the challenges that we face and the roadblocks that we face, that that camaraderie is something, that team huddle, it's like second to none, you know, that, that feeling that you get to be able to uplift, yep. no matter like your size your educational background. Uh, at that point, we are stripped, we are all the same level <laughs> yep. uh, of survival. So 
Uh, really wanted to just, if you take this time, if you wanted to give any shout outs to any any mentors that have taken you under their wing or really helped you along the way, love for you to, to give them a shout out and just share a, about what they did for you. Yeah, there's a few of them. John Panichone was, uh, he's a veteran business owner and founder, uh, co-founder of Vet to CEO that taught me a lot about business and coached me into this new business venture I just bought. Sean Olson in Wilmington, North Carolina, the uh, CEO of Cloudwise Tech Company, mm. was one of my real, my first big client and just allowed me to come in there and help him make a difference with his team and get a vision created and, you know, plant some leadership seeds there. So really appreciate him. This community here, God, the list goes on. Bob Cantler from the Chamber of Commerce here in Johnson City, who opened his door to me, met me and introduced okay. me to some folks and has been very, very supportive. You know, and it's the communities really that matter a lot uh, that I give a shout out here. And this this community here, Johnson City, Kingsport and Bristol, Tennessee, the Tri-Cities that had just been so warm and welcoming, uh, so much so that I decided to plant some roots and stick around for a while. Oh, I love that. And isn't it an incredible feeling to set down roots? I mean, it was like, I think until when I was leaving Fort Bragg, and I had already bought a, a home um, a few years ago. But when I got stationed at Bragg, I kept the house up in, here. And uh, I remember coming over the mountain and just seeing the city. And I was like, it just, it was like that first time that I really felt like I was, was coming home. Um, and in yep. that sense of being able to like, this is where I've laid roots. I love this community. It's a great feeling to come back to the town that has really opened their arms to you. And so, and I definitely hope our listeners have found that. And if our listeners, you've dropped so many golden nuggets today, just want an opportunity, <laughs> if you could share about, if there's anything that we didn't touch on you want to bring up or just how our listeners can get in touch with you uh, to pick your brain some more. No, we've had a great conversation here. You've asked some really good questions and we've covered a lot of grounds for sure. I am serious about connecting and helping, just help, you know, it's just a way for me to continue to serve. Best places to find me at my website, robcampbellleadership.com, robcampbellleadership.com, or on LinkedIn at Rob Campbell Leadership. I'm very active there. I got 20,000 followers. And Great. So it's a lot of fun interacting there. It's a very professional space. And yeah, love to connect with folks on, in those spaces there if I can help them out in any way, if it's military transition or leadership. Well, thank you, Rob, again, for your candidness, your vulnerability, just sharing some of your life lessons learned. And there's a lot, and I again, what I really love with this episode are those parallels that you you shared with regards to leadership service and what we're doing now on the other side of the gate. Uh, so thank you again so much for your your time and a big thank you again. Shout out to your your family who may tune in this episode later. But um, I mean, just you know, behind it, what they say, every great leader is a, a great support, great family. So just yeah. love that support network that you have as well. Uh, so on behalf of the entire team here at Veteran Voices, I want to sincerely thank you for your time. Uh, we invite all of our listeners today to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and tune in and see what Rob's up to. And uh, will there be any books coming out, Rob? Should we stay tuned? Do you have anything else in the works right now? Okay, here it is. I'll let it all it is. I was like, I almost bag. closed this out. And I was like, wait, I forgot. Uh. <laughs> I I am working on book number three about crisis leadership and management, and I'm excited to get that on the road. It's taken a little bit of time, but stick with me on LinkedIn, stay in touch there, and I'll definitely blast it out once I get close. 
Okay. Yes. See, and it was like something I was forgetting there, but I'm, I'm, that's yeah. incredible. Again, book three for someone. Here we go. 11 Bravo turned officer turned Colonel. <laughs> so again, many hats. So uh leadership author. So just really, again, that goes to what we always say here on veteran voices to stay motivated do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. So on that note, we will see you next time here on Veteran Voices. Take care, everybody.